1: Soccer Show and our latest edition of Listener Questions. My name is Ryan Bailey, and helping me to field your queries today is a man who sadly doesn't own a single Liverpool FC NFT. Is that right, Taylor Rockwell? That
2: is right, and I never will, not just because of Liverpool, but because NFTs still feel like a scam to me. Even after I saw that uh, ESPN is partnering with Tom Brady to do one, I understood like four words in a fully written out tweet, I'm good with avoiding (laughs) NFTs on the whole.
1: NFTs are a scam. Okay, boomer. Whatever, Taylor. Yeah, I know. I,
2: I'm aware that that's the mentality that I'm bringing
1: to this, but I am okay with it because NFTs don't make any sense to me and are therefore scary. Uh, before Liverpool beat Portuguese side Benfica in the Champions League earlier this week, uh, we, were, we learned that their NFT range has flopped with only 10,000 sold out of, out of 171,000 available, Taylor um whatever will they do um from not making any money from this scam could be made up to me like everything you just said might be real and might not be real
2: but that's that's where nfts really lose me it's just the like yeah the nft offering it flopped but then they came in with a secondary round of negotiations and that that led to a tertiary acquisition offer and here we are with the nft uncertain of a steady future um i blacked (laughs) out there taylor what was that (laughs) see see
1: also here is a man who was never hidden in the toilets at ibrox overnight to see the old firm derby graham Ruthven. is that right
3: i mean not that rangers know of uh you know if, if you do it well they never know so who's to say whether i've done that or not but yes i did see that news story and it was uh, fairly amusing to me yes. and ingenious it was it was a, a pretty good idea if the sort of idea that might end you up in jail
1: I don't know if you saw this, guys, and listeners. Uh, a lad called Kalen Clark, um, he was a ticketless uh, Celtic fan trying to get into Ibrox Rangers Stadium for the derby last weekend. He applied for a job at the Rangers food kiosk, or one of them in the stadium. Uh, his, his first shift was the day before the game. He hid in the toilets until the next day when the Celtic fans started mm-hmm. arriving at the ground. Taylor, that's pretty impressive, isn't it?
2: I mean, that, that, that's some in- innovative solutions. Maybe he should be
1: working in the NFT industry. He maybe should, Taylor. Rounding out our group is a man who's never been blocked by Matt Letizia on Twitter.
4: Is that right, Joe Lowry? It's true, but only because I've never tried to follow him before. I think he's slightly outside of my soccer circle, Ryan Bailey. Is
1: he outside of your soccer knowledge, uh, Joe, given his uh, the, the years in which he was operating?
4: Uh, British, uh, Premier League, Southampton, question mark?
1: Correct. Correct. Oh, okay,
4: I'm going to stop there. I'm going to stop there. Maybe fullback?
1: Not anymore
4: back yeah. fallback <laughs> maybe right?
1: back. he has fallen back on some controversial opinions let's say that joe on his twitter
4: yes i i have seen in the slack you and graham going back and forth and discussing this and graham sorry to air out your laundry here but i guess graham is blocked by matt leticia and that's that's been a whole thing what understand did you do, graham? i don't, what I don't did you know
3: do uh i don't know probably told them to like watch tv at some point or watch <laughs> the news and that yeah that was probably <laughs> enough for me to get blocked
1: you're such yeah. a brainwashed sheep, Graham. That's your problem. <laughs> yeah, I sheeple. <laughs> wake up, wake up. Well, listen, if you've got a question for us, there are two ways of reaching us. Either you can write your question on some paper and bake it into a tiny meat pie and hope Graham eats it at a game, or you can visit <laughs> TotalSoccerShow.com slash questions. Either option I is good. would I read it? <laughs> well, I, I was hoping you'd only bite a little bit of the paper and then pull it out as a little surprise. <laughs> right, okay. Like a Kinder Egg.
3: Right, sure. I mean, sometimes I just eat up the, the pie whole uh, and then that question is gone forever.
1: Oh, indeed, indeed. Not forever. We do have yeah. some. <laughs> <actually both>. <laughs> <laughs> We've got some excellent <laughs> questions lined up from our listeners today but Graham there is one food related one I'd like to get off my chest before we get started from Derek okay. Light. Uh, I'm going to I'm springing this on you I apologize right, okay. but um Derek would like to get your thoughts on the concessions that were sold at the Azteca for the recent game against USMNT. All of these he says were sold uh, sold by vendors walking up and down the sections in the stadium. We've got Graham, wings, burgers, donuts, assorted candy. Hmm. Fresh fruit cup, smoothies, jerky, ramen in a cup, which is uh, for your palate, uh, pot noodle, Graham. Yeah, this is eclectic. Or beer and no water, Derek says. What do you think of all that?
3: (laughs) I mean, beer and no water sounds uh, pretty much like every uh, Scottish football game I've ever been to, and you're not allowed to sell alcohol in Scottish football stadiums, so that gets smuggled (laughs) in, but... uh, it's an eclectic uh, choice. I have to say I did see outside the Azteca a lot of the vendors selling like uh, like you know, tacos and Mexican street food, which looked amazing. Outside a stadium, anything goes. You can have whatever you like outside the stadium, but there's no there's not a single pie in that selection, so it's a it's a thumbs down from me from me, uh, for the Azteca <laughs> concessions. I, I thought I you'd um,
1: you'd be bothered by wings and ramen noodles. Particular. And
3: and a fruit cup as well. I mean, come on, nobody's <laughs> wanting to get healthy at the football match. That that's like the opposite of the the whole. Point of going to the football.
1: <laughs> Not in the spirit of things. You're quite right, Graham. You're quite yeah. right. Uh, on that note, let's get to some other listener questions. We're going to start off with Justin Bartles, who says, Why does the USA, or CONCACAF, play more World Cup qualifiers to get to the World Cup? Compared to England in UEFA, that only played 10 matches over a longer period of time, should all conferences play the same amount of games uh it's a good question taylor i'll come to you first it is wildly disparate the amount of games that teams can play in different federations uh in the afc you'll play 18 games for example uh con you get 18 as well if you're in the ofc in oceana three games and two games in the playoff and then you're into confederation playoff so uh new zealand's game against costa rica will be their sixth game only so there's a real difference taylor yeah, and I think that that's OK. I,
2: I think I don't love the allocation of spots. I think that could be a little bit more fair in terms of the total number of teams that get to go. And hopefully when we expand the World Cup, that will be uh, rectified a bit. But aside from that, I think it makes sense to have the Confederations sort of decide what they want to do on their own. I like that common ball has everybody play each other home in a way. I think it brings a balance and it allows teams to really play into their home field advantage. But then they have to figure out how to win or get a draw on the road. I also think you have to look at the finances of each confederation and of each member state within that confederation. I think there's different quality in the teams, there's different money behind them, and so to try to make it equal when things inherently are not equal to start, I don't know if that would work as well. And I like the idea that you're not sort of making... St. Vincent play in like a, a group with Mexico and Costa Rica or something like that. I don't Abund. know how much that benefits them. I think the Nations League is a move towards getting teams more meaningful games, and I think as long as we continue to grow those, I don't have much of an issue with how uh confederations handle their qualifying uh
3: number of games. Is this is this not largely just based on the size of the confederations? So in, in UEFA there are fifty-five member nations in, in UEFA. So I guess they could make bigger groups. Um, so that they then bump up the number of qualifiers. But then you have to judge what is going to make the best competition. And also, let's be real about this, you generally want the best UEFA nations, where where there is the greatest depth and there is the greatest number of good teams, traditionally good teams. You generally want them to be at the World Cup. UEFA's got to fill 13 spots. So if you reduce the number of groups, then there's a greater chance that big nations the good countries that we want to see at that tournament are are going to miss out so it's kind of like a balancing act between and in UEFA as well we've got the the Nations League I know they have that in CONCACAF as well but the Nations League is actually a route into the Euros I know it's not the World Cup but another major tournament as well so when you add the Euro qualifiers the World Cup qualifiers the Nations League together there's not really much scope to kind of have more World Cup qualifiers and it's a balancing act between that and the competition you want to see in the qualifiers and also the teams you probably want to progress through to the World Cup.
4: Well, And and the other thing I was going to mention that I don't think we've touched on yet is because there are so many, there's such a wide range, Ryan, like you're saying, of FIFA nations in each confederation. I'm I'm not sure it's even logistically feasible or, or logistically possible to give every FIFA nation a chance to qualify while also having an equal number of World Cup qualifiers played across each confederation. I don't know... How you do that? It doesn't. It doesn't add up in my head, and so I think it does make sense. While it's not entirely even, and so I, I do understand where Justin's coming from with this question. I don't think you can have Saint Vincent play ten games and have England play ten games and call that an equitable or, or like reasonable approach to qualifying.
1: But is it equitable, Joe, for the Commonwealth to play eighteen games in a round robin uh, format over various stages, and then you know England to play eight games in their group? Or look at CAF, Africa. I think it's six games they play in their group um, section and they go to a pretty brutal head-to-head playoff. So they generally play seven games if you're not in the qualifying round. There's 50-odd teams in CAF as well. So it doesn't seem like it's entirely fair. And part of me, Joe, thinks maybe when it comes to CONCACAF, um, so I said eighteen, and I think I'm in fourteen in in the in the um, in the ocho, isn't it? And a few extras for the first round and whatnot. But the point being, in Concacaf, is it not that they play more games because they make more money from staging more games?
4: I mean I, I think that could certainly be part of it. It was fewer than fourteen games recently with the Ocho. I mean sorry with the X, excuse me. Yeah. So it's been fewer games in the past, but money certainly is part of it. And Ryan, maybe and I don't know if you you have a hard stance on this, but maybe sort of to to the point that it feels like you're you're dragging us towards maybe <laughs> if you look at like calf or something that wasn't supposed to be mean, sorry. If you're looking Exabited. at if you're looking at calf, we were talking about them being split up into groups and just playing, you know, six games initially. Maybe to what Graham said earlier, you make the groups a little bit bigger, or maybe you try to even out the game slightly. But just my, my point about all of this is because there's not like an equal number of teams or even a, a rough equality across the confederations in terms of size. This isn't college football where you're kind of ranging between 12 and 16, depending on the conference. It's so disparate. I, I don't know that you will ever make it totally even. You could get a little closer to that. You could get, Africa playing more qualifiers. You could get Oceania playing a few more qualifiers, but I don't think you're ever going to get it to be totally even. And I'm not really sure it matters all that much, honestly. Yeah, Ryan, I don't think
3: there is any qualification for Copa America. Am I right in thinking that? I've, I've just done a quick Google because I had to check that, and I can't find any qualification process. No, they, so they have to invite teams to. Fill they out have to Copa invite America. teams, exactly. Yeah. So mm-hmm. I think that's a factor in uh, Comniball having 18 fixtures is that they have a whole qualification cycle that. UEFA and a a lot of other confederations have and so they kind of have to flesh out (laughs) that the time between World Cups somehow so uh, I guess it makes sense for them to have a single table rather than um, logistically and practically you probably could have two common ball tables but as I say having the extra fixtures probably makes sense for them.
1: Yeah and common ball I think Taylor I think we've mentioned this before do we like that qualification system the best where it's basically a little league table isn't it?
3: Yeah, I
2: think I do. And I think I do, especially so because it lets everybody play everybody. And maybe maybe South American teams don't love that because you don't want to have to play Brazil or Argentina both. But I think it's the same issue we're having with USA Mexico in an expanded World Cup. There's a decent chance that if they change the way qualifying works, and you move into groups, you're not going to have the United States and Mexico ever playing World Cup qualifiers against each other. And that feels wrong. It feels sad to me. And so I think Like, you could definitely make the case that you could split common ball up and have them into different groups or a couple different pairings or however you want to do it. But ultimately, if we're missing out on Brazil, Argentina trying to qualify for the World Cup playing against each other, I think that's a loss. So I I like the idea of them sticking with it so that they get those big games and it feels like this momentous occasion. What I think I'm learning from this conversation is I think we stumbled upon the reason why Ryan hates the international break so much is because UEFA's window tends to be or like the number of games played tends to be so tight that you'll usually get one World Cup qualifier and then a friendly and nobody really gets excited about friendlies. We get excited about World Cup qualifying. So when the U.S. has a break and they're playing two or three World Cup qualifiers, Joe and I are excited. When Mm. England has a break and they play one World Cup qualifier against Estonia and then they have... have a friendly game that's not that exciting against, I don't know, Wales. Maybe that doesn't quite get the uh, motor running, Ryan. You've hit
1: the nail on the head, Big T. Congratulations. (laughs) You got there. Yeah. But uh, Justin makes a very good point. If England playing eight games to get to the World Cup and Canada have played 20. So, and that's including going through the the initial stages as well. So there's no equity there. But uh, I suppose the answer, Taylor, is there's not much we can do about it.
4: Yeah, man. But also, Canada's going to the World Cup. The world should be happy. I've, sure. I have one more question before we leave this one, guys. Do you think it's advantageous to play more games or, or fewer games? Because I'm I'm kind of torn. I think that maybe playing more games in international soccer is a good thing. It, I think it depends. Wait,
2: for, to what purpose, Joe? To qualify or to improve your team? Well, I mean, yeah. Shoot, dog. That's, that's a good point. <laughs> Shoot, dog. Because I think if we're talking about to qualify for something, my answer is fewer games, because I think over the stretch of a 38 game season, we tend to get Man City and Liverpool on top, not Hull City when they were like 10 games in and top of the Premier League. I think things balance out over a longer period of time, but obviously more games helps you get more chemistry, helps develop players, maybe more players become interested, interested in playing for your national team. So I think it it varies based on uh, what you're going for.
4: Yeah, at the same time, though, I-, I can see it being advantageous to play fewer games in-, in terms of qualification. But you look at a team like Peru, who started qualifying really poorly in Common and managed to mm. sneak up to fifth in the table. They wouldn't have been able to do that if they right. played 12 games or so. So I guess the answer to my question is probably it totally depends on the situation. I was just trying to think if it was better or worse, or if Justin was trying to, to say – that maybe it'd be better off if everybody played fewer games or maybe everybody should play more if it's so that it's more mm. equitable. And I'm I'm just not sure it matters. I think it's gonna be case dependent.
1: I think it's certainly not the case that all conferences should play the same amount of games though as just Posit, though, because that just wouldn't be fair with different sizes of um confederations and the way they have them structured. I think we've all agreed on that, right Joe? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Good stuff. Uh, no, Justin- I want Oceania playing eighteen
2: games. I think that should be <laughs> mandatory. Let's Who make it happen. <laughs>
1: New Zealand, yeah, a lot of travel for a lot of New Zealand players who – a lot of them play in Europe as well. So a bit of a – some some carbon footprint going on there, Taylor, shall we say. (laughs) Uh, Justin, thank you so much for the question. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, a couple of USMNT questions coming right up.
0: Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person any time, day or night.
1: Total Soccer Show, welcome back to Listen to Questions. Joey Jadlowski has got one. He asks, who is your USMNT best 11 of players who played zero minutes in CONCACAF World Cup qualifying this cycle that are still in the picture to make the World Cup roster? And how would that team have done in this cycle if they were the group that needed to qualify us, assuming they were all healthy? This one's got Joe Lowry written all over it.
4: It does, right? Thank you for giving this one to me. I like this question a lot. This was a fun one, Joey. Uh, I've got my 11 here for us. I'm going to go through from back to front. In goal, I have Ethan Horvath, who was called in, but never actually played on the field in World Cup, quali- World Cup qualifying. Center backs, I have CCV. You're welcome, Graham. And I have Matt Mianzka. <laughs> neither one of those two players got any minutes, and, and neither one of them are all that high. It seems like on Brawlers' depth chart, but I think they would be a capable duo. In this 11 at right back, I have Joe Scally again called up to a camp didn't get on the field right back was right right and left back were a little tough for me because I think there were a few different options. But Scally at right back and I have Sam Vines at left back in this in this in this uh in this 11 mm-hmm. at the six in the midfield and the forwards are where it starts to get a little murkier. I think I think in some respects that back five almost picks itself, including the goalkeeper there. Mark Delgado, I have as the number six, which I think is maybe a little bit of an under-the-radar pick. He's had caps to the national team before. He's playing as the deepest midfielder for the LA Galaxy right now, and he's playing very, very well. He's been huge for them and Greg Vanney this season. I have him behind the dual eights of Paxton Pomical. No surprise that I picked Pomical mm-hmm. And Eric Williamson, who's just getting back to health with the Portland Timbers, has been impressive. Genuinely impressive for the national team in the past. So Pomical and Williamson in front of Delgado. And then my wingers. I have Matthew Hoppy on one side. I have Georgie Mihailovich on the other side, and I have Brandon Vasquez as my number nine, who's banging in goals for FC Cincinnati He's right now. We'll get minutes, nice. <laughs> Taylor. Do you do you disagree? Do you like some of this lineup? What do you have different in this eleven? Who is your right winger again? Uh H- on the right. Georgie's on the left. Ah, there we go. Uh, yeah, I like it. I had a, I had a couple differences.
2: Uh, I had Edwin Curiel as my number six good one. instead of Delgado. Uh, I did have Paxton Palmakal in there. Um, I thought maybe we could include Richie Ledesma if we wanted to go oh, younger, although I think good. Eric Williamson is the better shout, especially since I think there's a chance he would have actually been involved in qualifying had he have, had he been, uh, fully fit. Uh, and then maybe we could throw, uh, Kevin Paredes in there as like a left winger, left midfielder, left wing back, something. But I think Georgi Mihailovic, the form he's in, the way he's playing, and the fact that he's playing in a roughly similar position for Montreal or a weird hybrid position. I think that makes a lot of sense. And yeah, I have Matthew Hoppe either as the number nine or out on the right. Uh, and I hope we see more of him because reading more about Matthew Hoppe uh, reminds me how impressive he was in the Gold Cup and how like chaotic energy he was. And <laughs> yeah. I mean, Reno would just be like a completely destabilizing force that would be amazing. Uh, so the two of them would be great. Joe, I like uh, pretty much all of your lineup. I had the exact same... Back four with maybe
4: Dewan Jones as my only other possibility mm. at left back. Dewan Jones is a good one. And Taylor, I completely forgot about Ledesma. I actually might put him in over either Williamson or, or over one of the wingers. I think he's, he's good in those half spaces, which is the, the spaces the wingers usually occupy, or he could be good a little bit deeper. So I don't know exactly where I put him in, but I probably would take Ledesma over someone I have. That's a really, that's a really good shout.
1: Graham Rutherford,
3: any changes there? So I had exactly the same uh, back five of Horvath, uh, CCV, Miazga, Scally, and Vines. I don't feel like I've put as much thought into like how this team is actually going to play, <laughs> more just sort of uh, players players on a team sheet. So I've got Paxson, uh Eric Williamson as well. Uh, I've got Georgi uh, Mihalovitch in that midfield three. Don't know if that works, but there we go. The thing that really doesn't work because I—I was sure I've been trying to oh, Google. Wow. I was sure Matthew Hoppy got minutes, otherwise he would have been in my in my team as one of the wingers because it was the wingers that I struggled with most. And so I've got I've got Brandon Vasquez <laughs> as one of my wingers, which doesn't really work. And then I've got Darrell DK and uh, Caden Clark as my as my front three. So I like it. Target
4: Va- Target Vasquez, baby. <laughs> yeah. you're on the Vasquez train, aren't you, Joe? Well, I, I am. I'm, I'm certainly not alone on that train. He's been really good in MLS to start this season, and that's not necessarily the biggest surprise. He's had some good spurts for Cincinnati in the past as well, some good moments at Atlanta back at his first stop in Major League Soccer. He's just a, a good player, and I, I don't know that he's going to function for the national team, we just don't have a ton of evidence. Still, it's going to lead us in that direction. He plays in a very different system, in a, in a much different style for Cincinnati, and he does it in a, in a slightly different role. He's playing as part of a front two ahead of a number ten, versus with the national team, he would be alone number nine. We expect um, with two eights behind him and then a six behind them. So it, it's a much different system. But as far as nines who have impressed in Major League Soccer this season, and as far as American number nines who are in form. Brendan Vasquez is is at the very top of that list. I don't and, want to be the cop in this, but FB Ref says Matthew Hoppy got
3: 18 minutes in Concacaf oh, uh, qualifying. So that explains why I've why I've not included him because he absolutely would have been in. It's, it game? says he got 18 minutes in the game against Costa Rica, 2-1-1 at home.
0: What? All right, oh, I'm going
4: I notes. don't remember any of that. Okay, if if that's <laughs> the case, Graham, I'm sure you're right. Then I've got Ledesma in for Hoppy. I did I did a bad thing, but hopefully that fixes it. <laughs>
1: Oh, dear. Maybe we should just stop the podcast now. Yeah, on
3: down, joke. not joking. a good day for me. I have never felt like more of a cop in my no, life. No, so Graham, sorry.
4: much better you than than the people who have probably already sent those tweets. I would like to issue an earnest apology to them.
2: <laughs> Graham, I apologize this is... for nothing. Matthew Hoppe should be in the team, even if he played 18 minutes. <laughs> uh, no, Graham, that's a great shout. Yeah,
3: great don't shout. back down. Double down. Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Graham, that's why you were head boy at school. Oh, <laughs> like I imagine. Dang yeah, right. You were I was, but I, I'm not a cop. Uh, Joe, one more on this uh, for the second part of Joey's question about how this team would have done in this cycle. Uh, Your thoughts on that.
4: So I I was trying to think about this yesterday, and I'm happy to be overruled here. I I think if rotation wasn't a factor, that this starting eleven could end up somewhere between fifth and third. I mean, they could end up lower, certainly. I guess they could end up higher. Third feels like the absolute ceiling for this group. I think there's still a lot of talent here. And, and again, taking out rotation and injuries, I think they have enough to be in contention for that third spot behind Canada and Mexico, but I don't th- think they would necessarily end up there. I think shooting for either the playoff spot in fourth or maybe just narrowly missing qualification behind Costa Rica and Panama that feels like the most likely outcome, maybe dropping down to sixth, maybe maybe somebody jumps them. But I think top five and probably in that three to five range is where I would have this team. So
1: the, the, the USMNT B team is as, virtually as good as the A team? Is that what I'm, <laughs> I'm gleaning from that, Joe?
4: I mean, I don't think they're anywhere near as good, but I still think they have a talent advantage over, even with this, this lineup, I think they have a talent advantage over most of the other teams in the Ocho, or at least half they- of them.
2: I agree with Joe, and I think there's also less pressure on them to be this expansive attacking team. I think Burhalter, if he were coaching this team that we have, uh, where we've just lost our starting right winger, so I guess we're only you playing with 10 at this point, <laughs> uh, I th- I, th- I don't think maybe there'd be as grandiose of expectations or promises about the way the team's going to play. And so I think we would maybe revert back to the grinding away through, getting a 1-0 win, getting a 1-1 draw on the road. That's good enough. And I think in that regard, yeah, we would end up in roughly a similar position. I am still very confused as to who should start at right wing then, because I was already a little bit iffy in that one spot for as much depth as we have with players who actually played, and we could add Matthew Hoppe to that list. The only other ones I had for right wing were Tyler Boyd or Jonathan Amon, no disrespect to either of them, but neither one of those feels like they are kind of a next-level difference maker. Graham, who did you have at right wing?
3: Uh, Brandon oh, Baskets, I feel like this team is right? now going to get uh, picked apart. Yeah, so I had Brandon Baskett. Yeah, we'll figure <laughs> so it out. We'll gonna figure be, out. It's going to be a, a very uh, yeah, an innovative system.
4: It's, it's a Menzukic with Croatia kind of deal, right? Exactly. I don't remember what this at that yeah, but yeah, that's why I, I, I had got in you, game. Graham. You and me.
1: I mean, I, I hear you. Well, um, Let's go. speaking of flexible formations, gents, that leads us nicely to our next question. Thank you, Joe, for yours. Michael Hastings Black asks or says, Triple G said he would explore other formations beyond four-three-three for this here forthcoming World Cup. What do you all think they might be? And based on this, which players might come into the fold? Joe, I turn to you once again.
4: So I, I love this question. I kind of think that Beralta was just yanking our chains a little bit with that quote. I know what what Michael's referencing there. He talked about maybe we'll experiment a little bit in these upcoming games before the World Cup. I believe that was the gist of that quote. I, I'm i not personally expecting any big formation changes. Beralta spent three years now building this 4-3-3 with some 3-4-3 pinched in. And I'll talk more about the 3-4-3 in just a minute. He spent so long on this shape. I just have such a hard time believing that if he wanted – thinking that if he wanted to experiment, I I think he would have done it already, right? So I'm not expecting any shift to like a 4-2-3-1 or a two-forward front. That feels like 2021 time, not like 2022 with a few months left before the World Cup time. I could totally be wrong, and I welcome dissenting opinions on that. But if there is a change, I do think it's probably going to be more – tactical work in that 3-4-3 in Nations League or in some of those friendlies coming up in June, I think that's probably the most likely alternate formation, just as it's been for Beralta throughout his USMNT tenure, really from, I guess, 2021 on, essentially. So if it's that 3-4-3, the only players that I think might come into the fold are an extra center back or two, at least in terms of players that are are now needed because of a formation shift. I would like to see Brendan Vasquez. I would like to see Georgie. I would like to see Palmicle and Scally. The the other player, and none of those really need a formation shift to get a look. The other player I'd I'd like to see involved is CCV, and I think he does fit that three four three idea. You have three center backs in your formation, you're going to need a couple extra center backs in your squad, or at least one. And between maybe that shift to a back three for for at least a game in June, and between how CCV's played this season for Celtic, I think that might be a nice little pairing to give a run the 3-4-3 and CCV. Oh, that rhymes too. I Ooh. like that. And, uh <laughs> give that a run at some point in Nations League. Taylor,
1: we've seen that Grealish and Foden don't like coming up, coming up against a five-five-zero this week. Uh, what do you think?
2: <laughs> I mean, I, I'm into it. It solves the number nine issue that the U.S. has or doesn't have. <laughs> uh, we've seen the United States play in a back three once in qualifying. I remember because I wanted to put James Sands on my list of players who didn't play in qualifying. But James Sands started away to Honduras in a win. And maybe we will see them playing a couple friendlies or a couple games in a 3-4-3 or a 3-4-2-1. But I mostly agree with Joe. I think what experimentation we'll see is different players brought in to see how they fit. And I think we'll see different players asked to do different things within the system as we understand it. That might sound a little confusing. The best way I can explain it is looking at... The US in their 433 when it's Tim Weah starting on the right versus when it's Gio Reyna. I think both of them do some things similarly, but I think both of them have different talents. I think Tim Weah is a better sort of get him in isolation, play him that kind of ball in behind, let him uh, get into a foot race and back him to sort of get in behind and make plays happen. Gio Reyna can do that, but I think of him more as the dribbly on the ball, uh, maybe dropping deeper, helping defensively and then helping trigger that counter attack versus being the one played in on the counter. And I think what we might get is different permutations within the existing system so that when we're playing a team who uh like like basically one attacking style is really well suited to playing against them we have players who can do that but then if that team shifts at halftime or we play a different team in the next game that's doing something differently we have different looks different styles that can approach that one so i think that's probably what he wants is to add a few different tools to his swiss army knife
1: oh i was about to make the swiss army knife reference there too very nice um graham your thoughts
3: I think the I think Taylor and Joe have kind of covered all the all the main points in that. Sorry, Graham. Looking, <laughs> looking beyond the World Cup, I would like to see Berhalter tr try to get Pulisic, uh, Weir, and Reyna into the same attacking unit. But if brothers still it feels the coach, un- <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, that's true. Uh, yeah, when Roberto Mancini comes in after the the World Cup, huh. um, but it feels unlikely at this point that he's going to shift a one because I don't I don't think he. I don't think, I know there's been chat about Pulisic as number nine and maybe even Timothy Wea as a number nine, but it feels unlikely at this point. So you're probably looking at one of Jesus Ferreira or Ricardo Pepe or one of those guys playing as a number nine with Pulisic Wea and Reyna in the, in the attacking unit. And then that leaves you with a double pivot in midfield. And I don't know if you want to break up the MMA. At this point, the other thing I had in my list was experimenting with a back three, bringing in Car- Cameron Carter-Vickers. Uh, this is a hill that I am <laughs> willing to die on, that CCV is in very, very good form at the moment, potential player of the year candidate in Scotland. So it feels like he should get a look at some point in the summer, maybe for, for a couple of fra- couple of friendlies or for the Nations League games. Um, so Joe said 3-4-3, that would work pretty well. 3-5-2, that feels less likely, given that you'd be going with a front two and losing the wide forwards, which is where the US is is so strong, but nonetheless, a, a little bit of experimentation. Whether we actually see any of that is another matter, and as Joe referenced, uh, Berhalter's been, he's, he's, he's been pretty steadfast in sticking with his system and this formation, so it would, be, it would be a shock to me if he does anything dramatically different at this point.
1: I like it. Um, CVC 343, which is... um I oh, messed it up. <laughs> that sounds like a Sky
3: channel. That sounds like a shopping channel. It really does.
1: I was going to make a joke about a CCV number on your card and you just gave it away to everybody, but I, I kind of ruined it, <laughs> Graham, so I'll just carry on. Thank you very much, Michael, for, <laughs> for that question. Let's get one from Kunal Patel, who says, are there any examples of teams forfeiting a game and taking the 3-0 loss to avoid a game they can afford to lose by three goals? And if so, were there any repercussions, either to their reputation or an official punishment for undermining the integrity of the competition? competition. Canal says his question was inspired by a Matt Doyle tweet um around the USMNT's last World Cup game where they could um you know not lose 6-0 basically. So um Matt Doyle said words to the effect of um a forfeit is a 3-0 loss just saying that would be a better scenario. Now, Graham, um that would be a better scenario taking a 3-0 loss without having to get on the field, but um from all the research I found, it's not a better scenario because no. whenever you for forfeit a game, you are ejected from <laughs> <Bye-bye>. the competition. <laughs>
3: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Not a better scenario at all. And I found uh, some rules, and specifically the the Champions League and Europa League um, rule book, mm-hmm. Article Twenty Six in the Europa League rule book, and Article Twenty Eight in the Champions League rule book. And I am just going to read out this section. So. Quote, Refu- ref- refusal to play and similar cases. If if a club refuses to play or is responsible for a match not taking place or not being played in full, the UEFA Control Ethics and Disciplinary Body declares the match forfeited and disqualifies. This is the key bit. Disqualifies the club concerned in combination with the following fines. And then there's a list of of, of fines, um, which don't. I guess the, the fines are are a footnote. The main point there is. You're you're chucked out of the competition. Yeah. So I I guess it was a good thing the US did not forfeit that game in Costa Rica. <laughs> Otherwise, they uh, might not have been or would not have been in that in that draw for for the World Cup.
1: Yeah, and an example, a big example there, I suppose, growing from the Champions League would be 2017, the PhD Barcelona situation. PhD four 0 up. Uh, in yeah. the first leg uh, they could have tactically declared a forfeit for the second leg and still gone through but of course they lost the second leg 6-1 um, and I'm reading on those fines by the way the fines get incrementally higher uh, if you forfeit prior or during the final a million euro fine Woof, well, it's quite a lot why would you ever forfeit the final <laughs>
0: good point. Yeah, not second
3: there's not two games. Yeah, it's not the, the whole kind of uh, the whole reason you might do it is not not the case in the final unless it was like a two-legged final going yeah. way back in, in the days. Because
2: you're playing against uh German officers and URPOWs, and you want to escape at halftime so you uh basically escape At halftime, you don't go back out and play. That's why you forfeit, Graham. I think I'm I'm laying out the secondary plot to escape Uh, to
1: victory.
3: Yeah, escape to forfeit. Yeah, exactly.
1: (laughs) And you put a five-foot... Boxer in goal. Excellent stuff. Um, I found <laughs> an, another, um, another example, well, a kind of example of this, Graham. In 2014, Legia Warsaw beat Celtic 6 1 across uh, two games in the Champions League, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. Um, but they fielded an illegible player. I mean, it's Celtic won the second game 3 <laughs> 0. An illegible and- player? Was Harry Redknapp doing the team sheet? <laughs> ineligible excuse me and my diction. That's um, like headboy
4: behavior Ryan. Goodness me.
1: What's well, I'm falling apart today. I apologize. Yeah. Um, so Celtic won the second game 3-0 by default and Celtic were actually reinstated to the next yep. round instead. Do you remember that one Graham?
3: I do and it, it happened I think the season before or two seasons before with Sion uh, and Switzerland as well exactly the same thing where Seon fielded ineligible players and Celtic uh yeah, they, they've had some good fortune in, in Champions League qualifying.
1: They have, indeed. Uh, Kunal, thank you very much for that question. We're going to take a few more after this very short break. Back soon.
2: Hey, folks, this is Taylor from the Total Soccer Show, reminding you that we are inching ever closer to the start of the summer transfer window, which means there are teams that will buy and sell their players early, there are teams that will leave that business very late, and there are teams that will operate in between. But no matter what...
1: Total Soccer Show, welcome back to our listener questions. We have one right here from Mr. Thomas Buck, who says, Keeping this simple, is there any chatter in MLS of dividing conferences into divisions like other major North American sports leagues? And if not, why not? Looking at the table these days overwhelms me, says Thomas, like tackling a grocery list before Thanksgiving. Seems to (laughs) me that divisions could heighten rivalries and offer more silverware or banners to teams. Just seems logical, if untraditional, in the soccer world, um, Joe, I think we mentioned this when we were doing the weekend review last week or the week before. That there's a lot of MLS games. There's 14 <laughs> games per weekend. That's quite a lot. That is, if I do the math correctly, 40 percent more than most European 20 team leagues. So maybe there is a case for this.
4: It's it's bad right now. I mean, I I really enjoy watching MLS. It's probably the, th- the th- one of the things I spend the most time doing over each weekend that the season is happening. But I, I totally agree with Thomas and his premise that there are too many games in MLS right now. It is overwhelming at times. And it's only going to get worse with two more teams coming into the league over the next few years. It's going to be 30 with St. Louis and, and surely with Las Vegas. That's too many teams to keep track of. I, I really do believe that. I don't know how easy it is to do that job well of covering MLS as as it gets to be bigger and bigger. And, and, and to even be a fan of the league, it gets more challenging. I'm not sure, though, what splitting into divisions actually you maybe maybe you get more specific division based media coverage and and maybe you can start some attention and start some actual real rivalries geographically. but I, I'm not sure that like five games a season of the earthquakes and the galaxy playing, Does a whole lot for me. I'm not really sure that also decongests the schedule at all either. It's still going to look like the grocery list before Thanksgiving. You're just going to have the same teams playing each other more often. And that might work in the NBA when there are 82 games in a season. And and you can have the Suns play the Lakers seven times or whatever it is in a season because they're playing the same division. Because you're still going to get, you know, 60 some odd games between other teams. You're still going to get maybe a, a healthy chunk of games outside your division. And I'm not sure that that this division-based structure in a shorter season, like soccer seasons almost have to be, I'm not sure that gets you anywhere. I will say, Thomas, I think you're spot on. I think what you're trying to get to here is that the league needs more division. And not divisions, but it it needs some sort of rigid, or at least more rigid divide. I know there's the Eastern and Western conferences, but you still get cross-conference play, and there's just still too many teams playing each other I would just love to see, and I, I have not heard any chatter about any of this. I don't really hear chatter. Period. Ryan, you hear more than I do, I'm sure, or at least you you have. I I would love to see MLS one and MLS two happen, yes, like some sort true. of top and and bottom division. You you get the owners on board by saying, well, you know, you're still involved in Major League Soccer, and it's still a closed pyramid, which is what they want. And I think there's absolutely justifiable reasons from an ownership perspective as to why you would want that. Maybe down the road you can get teams on board with this. I'm still really skeptical that this will ever happen. Uh, I kind of think MLS is just going to chill at thirty for a while, at least till after 2026, and then maybe we get some structural tweaks. But but MLS one and two feels kind of distant and improbable to me. But that's really how I would like to see this league change. Just split it 15 and 15. Do the top couple teams going up and down, or the bottom teams going down, the top teams going up, and and just really do a, a mini pro rel. I just think that would make everyone's lives, mostly mine, selfishly much easier.
1: (laughs) (laughs) The campaign starts here.
4: Yeah, exactly. exactly. That's
1: a great idea. I think many fans would like to see that, Joe, but I suppose it's a pretty hard sell for the franchise owners who maybe see their team in MLS 2 for a little too long.
4: Yeah, I mean, to be fair, uh, yes, it is. And that's why I don't think it'll happen. At least I'm not getting my hopes up. To be fair, though... You know, if if you have a competent owner, or if you want to be a competent owner, your odds of, of moving up to MLS one and staying there are are much greater. So I I don't know. Maybe MLS can get people on board with their controlled costs model and, and owners will still accept that their operational costs will be relatively even across both. Le- I, I don't know how this would work. This would take a lot more thought. And to be honest, reason- this is probably one for Paul and Sam or, or Graham, because I think he likes this idea as well. But I, I just hope yeah. it happens. But I, Ryan, I'm certainly not optimistic that it will. I'm not optimistic either, but the weird thing
3: about this is if you were going, so obviously if you go way back to the start of league structures in Europe, we're talking like early 1900s or even late 1800s, they all had to introduce promotion and relegation and divisions at certain points. But if if you go back, if you compare the scenario that they would have had then to what MLS has now, MLS is actually in a, in a easier, better position to introduce different tiers because of its centralized structure. So they could single pot it. They could uh i i I imagine there might be like a legal element of where owners will would argue that they've they've signed up to be part of like a, the American top flight and if they end up in the second tier then you know maybe some court cases in that sense but in terms of the in terms of the revenue mls is in a better position to distribute that revenue yeah. equally between a1 and a2 whereas like the premier league and the championship doesn't have that structure to do that there's not a centralized structure there so um i wouldn't rule it out entirely but it
4: doesn't it doesn't feel like it's going to happen well, anytime and maybe, soon and maybe you could convince owners again long shot that This would be better for the league overall, and because the owners all have a stake in the league, they're they're owners in Major League Soccer, not directly owners of a team necessarily. Maybe you could convince them that this would project better for them in the next medium to long-term run, and you could get them on board that way. Again, improbable, but but still, I'm grasping at straws.
1: Big T, your thoughts on this question? Um, Do you like the idea of dividing into divisions? Um, And if so, maybe does it have to get a lot bigger? How many teams does the league need before divisions make sense? I mean,
2: I think what the NFL does it at 32. Of course, they're only playing a 16-game season. I think the thing that always throws me off with questions like this is that it feels like Major League Soccer fundamentally is existing in two different realities, and I don't know which one they should embrace because we have... 38-game season in the Premier League, 34-game season in the Bundesliga. So the number of games played isn't that ridiculous. It's just that in those leagues, you're playing everybody home and away. In Major League Soccer, if you did that, then you're playing, what, like a 60-game season? and That's mm-hmm. not going to work. And so I think then you're looking at the tri- traditional American model of you play everybody in your division – twice, once home, once away, and then you play a couple other divisions to balance out the schedule. Ideally it's balanced in terms of the competitiveness of it, uh but that's not always possible. But I think then you're sort of not getting those big draws that people want if you don't have uh who who would be a big one right now. Uh like uh, Atlanta United. If you don't have Atlanta United in your, in your division, you don't get to play them, you're losing money because they're always going to have names that people want to see. I would say the same thing for LAFC or NYCFC. Like, you, you sort of have those big name teams that I think everybody wants to play because it's gi- going to generate interest. And I don't think MLS is in a position where they can afford to not have those games happen. Whereas the NFL, if LA and New York don't play each other, yeah, that's kind of normal. That doesn't happen all the time. Maybe it'll happen in the playoffs. But, I, I think it, it becomes much harder for MLS to try to kind of bridge that divide. I'm not sure how they do it.
1: Okay, Taylor, a little thought exercise for you. If we did divide into divisions, where in the country do you think would be one of the better divisions? I'm going to nominate the Southeast um, for obvious reasons. Atlanta, Charlotte, into Miami, a bit of Orlando, maybe some D.C. in there as well. <laughs> Are Miami you going to list a good team answer. at any point?
2: Or? Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Atlanta, you listed, that's fair. Yeah. Um, I think the
2: Northeast, I mean, we had the revolution be pretty, pretty good last year. I think both the New York teams can be counted upon. I think Philly, uh, pretty, Pretty strong as well. Toronto, historically, going to MLS Cups uh, regularly. Montreal, doing their best. They got George Mihailovic in there. So I think you can have the Northeast be pretty strong. Obviously, the Pacific Northwest has proven itself to be a consistently uh, good factory for talent and exciting teams. What you're getting at, though, Ryan, I think, is that the divisions become odd really quickly. And we're going to go back to those days where, like, Kansas City is jumping back and forth between East and West. Because, yeah, if we wanted to do the northwest or the the western conference i'm not quite sure western division i don't know where that line is going to be
1: that's what you get when you're in your cities in two states i guess
2: <laughs>
1: yeah that's <laughs> on them to be honest yeah, yeah so they're <laughs> only <playing> themselves. <laughs> all right thomas thank you very much for that question very interesting one as it is a uh, beckett Solers. Has asked Beckett solace by the way. That's a brilliant handle. I'm angry at my parents that I'm not called Beckett Solis. Um, If you could host a podcast <laughs> with one present soccer player purely on vibes, who would it be? I'm going to set the stall out Graham Ruthven with Erling Haaland. How good would Erling Haaland be on a podcast? And he would. I don't think he'd suffer nonsense. I think he'd he'd be very very direct. You know, we could do with another Englishman on this podcast. I think, for example, yeah. so he he fits the bill there as well. Born in Leeds. Let's not forget.
3: Yeah, I mean, am I I having to be in the same room as Erling Haaland? Is he going to give me one of those big bear hugs? Yeah,
1: after every show, he has to hug you as well.
3: Uh, No, I'm I'm out (laughs) now. You've just lost me. (laughs) Who you got then, Graham? So I've gone for Super John McGinn, uh, Steve Clark's man, better than Zidane, as the song goes, (laughs) uh, and the life and soul of the current Scotland team, a podcast with him i think would it wouldn't be boring put it that way and um let's face it by his own admission so i'm not i'm not saying anything he's not said himself he's got a bit of a, of a face for radio um uh, he's nicknamed meatball because he looks a bit like a meatball <laughs> um so maybe he's maybe he's not one for tv so podcast feels like his his sort of medium
1: uh taylor um who would you pick and why is it james milner
2: uh, so I thought about Thomas Milner. Uh, I I worry that I wouldn't be able to kind of pull those energy levels up. Uh, so what what I did think about was uh the kind of categories i would want for this one uh, i think for purposes of the fantasy aspect of this question i'm just going to assume that whomever i nominate uh can speak english fluently so yeah they all can do that uh magically but i think you want a person who's going to be into it you don't want them to do two episodes and then flake and be like yeah you know what i'm over it i feel like erling haaland has bigger things to do uh i want there to be interesting stories but ultimately i want it to just be you know an enjoyable time you want it to be somebody that you're sitting in a room with that you have a good back and forth with and i'm assuming i'd have a great back and forth with Danny Alves, that's one who I think could be. We we know that he is a good locker room guy. From Xavi bringing him back, and suddenly Barcelona are good again. So maybe Danny Alves is the man to host a podcast with. The other uh, two names I had, Luka Modric, because we know he's an organizer and a leader. I'm going to assume there's lots of good stories. Seems to have that that the good vibes. We saw him celebrating with everybody in the locker room. Then we could bring uh, Tony Cruz along to just sit there silently and sullenly be the producer. I think that combo means we're going to get a good podcast. And my last nominee would be Mohamed Salah, because he strikes me as a dude who always seems to, like, honor his obligations. He seems like a, a pretty down-to-earth, pretty nice guy, or at least as nice and down-to-earth as an internationally known footballer can be, uh, but obviously has good stories, he, uh, has has the big family, has the daughter who scores goals. I feel like we could we could get some good chat going. So, yeah, I'll
1: add Mohamed Salah to that as well. Uh, Joe, who's just shared a lovely picture of a meatball in our Slack chat, um, <laughs> I think Brick Shea would have some uh, some stories.
4: Oh, yeah, that's a good one. There, there are so many <clears throat> there are so many of these guys that I, I want to pick, but I'm honestly not sure I could handle doing a show with. There's so many that I kept thinking, this yep. would be fun, and then I realized I'm not the Kooligans. this would not be fun, and I would not Balotelli. do a good job. <laughs> yeah, Ballatelli would be fascinating, but just not not for me. Tim Weah, I also thought, I'm sure he's a great guy. No one wants to listen to me talk with Tim Weah. That's just not, the same thought. It's just not the what people care thought. about. Also, Taylor, respect to you for picking Tony Cross as your producer. If he has a good show, you have a good show. It's the Ryan Bailey Exactly. It's, it's, it's beautiful. Um, I've, I have two, not together. Those would be a separate podcasts. Thomas Muller, I think oh, it would be fascinating. He has such weird is- vibes. And I think, I think he would have, like a tactical appreciation for the game. I think I think we could talk about what happens on the field, which is stuff that I, I love, and so that would be a part of the podcast. And he just seems like an interesting-slash-weird dude, but in a way that I could handle, in a way that like people might actually enjoy. So Thomas Muller is one, and Reggie Cannon is the other. Because I wanted to pick someone from a, a USMNT perspective, an American soccer perspective. Cannon seems really well-spoken and, and kind of thoughtful and he just seems like a smart and fun-loving dude. Again, feels like a a good conversation that we could have on a regular basis, and we would have a lot of interesting American soccer-centric things that we could talk about. So Thomas Muller, as, as kind of my wild card, but Reggie Cannon would probably be my my more safe pick here.
1: I like it. 100 percent had Thomas Muller on my list as well, Joe. Very nice. very good choice. <laughs> um, uh, Graham, any more for the, any more? Um. Juan Mata seems
3: like quite a nice mm. guy, Very uh, and he's not too. exactly he's not exactly playing much for United right now, so mm. he'd have time to podcast most days, I
1: guess. Less, I'd say I've got one nomination. It's not a current player, or indeed a player. If I could have anyone from soccer, I think I'd have Louis Van Gaal, who we know is um um been diagnosed with prostate cancer. We wish him and his family all the best at the moment. But it got me thinking about how he's he's loved by the players who like he Thomas Muller adores him I think we had there was a, yeah. some footage was it last week of sort of them them horsing around on the side of the field and it looked really really nice and so many of his players have got good things to say about him but I just love that really straightforward Dutch thing that that, that many Dutch people have where they they don't coat anything and I think it's yeah. um it is, it, that could be really entertaining having Louis van Gaal and just for him to say again I just wanted maybe that's what the pop would be called
3: yeah. With Van Hal there are a lot of, um, how would describe it, like spit out your tea moments right. with with Van Hal where he just drops in a line that you, you can't quite believe that he said. Uh, there were a lot of moments like that at Manchester United. So yes, I'm 100% on board with the LVG podcast, Ryan.
1: Um, Joe, just to check, uh, Beckett's question, we said we select these players purely on vibes. And as our resident young person, have we fulfilled vibes? As uh, a- I think...
4: I think for all of us we fulfilled our own individual vibe requirements. Like we're not it's not all going to be equal across the the spectrum here. And also Ryan, I am not the right young person to talk to about vibes. I, <laughs> obviously, I
2: obviously am. <laughs> I obviously am the young person that everyone needs to hear from. Because if we're going with vibes, we have to be doing this interview in person, right? This podcast must or not interview, but this podcast has to be recorded in person cuz you can't have vibes over over Zoom. It's very difficult. And that means you all are deciding to be locked in a room with Louis van Hall for who knows how long. I'm not sure any of us could handle <laughs> the intensity of being locked in a cage with like a a caged leopard and hoping that he uh he gives us intelligible answers and not just raw fury. We're in a cage they started show? off
3: as a room now it's a cage Goodness.
2: i mean <laughs> I mean, yeah, that's where that that's where intense managers all sleep. You didn't know that it's yeah. part of the uh like like Pep Guardiola, can you imagine him sleeping in a, in a crate, you know? He's got to
3: desensitize himself. Yeah. I was going to suggest we could just meet at Starbucks, but you that's know, cage is <laughs> that's probably better. The listeners
1: don't know that Taylor actually recalls from a cage, don't you? Like a little I mean, dog crate. Hey, space where space <laughs> is and plus when we put a blanket over it, I feel like it's nighttime and I go to bed. <laughs> That's right. Um, I've just got one final listener question to pose uh, for you, gents. This is from Demetrius Osborne. Um, following up on his question a few weeks ago about the TSS logo, what is the story behind the TSS theme song? Is it Taylor Rockwell singing at the end of the episode? <laughs> it sure sounds like him.
2: Uh, I- is it is it on tune or in key? If so, it's not me, because I can't sing just at say all. Yes. I, I can do <laughs> no... Musicking of any kind. Uh no, that is uh when Daryl and I started the show, we needed rights-free music uh, to be able to play it on the radio. Uh, that is a friend of mine from high school, his band composed of people I went to high school and middle school with. Uh, as you can tell, it's from a bygone era and there was this thing called Ska. I didn't even know it was Ska until somebody pointed that out like 10 years after we started using it. But yes, it is a high school band that we grabbed very quickly because we could use it for free uh, per my friend's uh, authorization. We do have that, legally binding. Uh, and then we we put out a poll like five years or so after we started the show and I think even more recently about should we get a new song should we change it up consistently the vote is no uh, I will always happily consider new options if people wanted it to change but for now it is the bread song by the band zero one and it is indeed about working in a bakery which I think the lead singer was doing when he wrote the
3: song hang <laughs> the on the thing that blew my mind about this song was when when we did our our editing uh tutorial and you send o- sent over the 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 full song I mm. wasn't even aware that there was a full yes, sir. there's a full track there's a there's a, there's a full track of this song and
1: that, that blew my mind a little bit you, did I'm you glad. say the band's called Zero One mm-hmm. is that like the worst possible name for a band if they're trying to be found on Google <laughs> <laughs>
4: I'm sure at the time they they maybe weren't as concerned with that at that
1: particular <laughs> era.
2: Yeah, yeah, I think 1999 there was less concerned about that one more concerned yeah. about getting in on or keeping it off Napster, I guess was the thing. I main mean is
3: as right is, is SEO like the guiding light of how most bands pick a name it doesn't <laughs> feel very right, right, apparently. To apparently. Me.
1: <laughs> well, maybe is it to do with being at the top of like when you start put plug your iPod into the car in 1999 and oh one just comes starts, up first yeah. maybe that's it because there's yeah. a band i like from the uk you might have heard them graham called a just the letter a they're like yeah. a hard rock band and they were formed in the pre-internet times and they're like our name is terrible because no not a single person can find us on the internet so that's uh, uh that's troubling um taylor it's, the, it's the, them the and the s- chicago fire yeah,
4: yeah. <laughs> and mls in general you st- i still get real estate listings when i type them in, right. no,
1: yeah mls.com yeah, yeah.
4: No why have there. they not bought that I don't understand
2: because it's way, it's I think way more valuable. <laughs> yeah, I think it'd be very expensive. I think they
4: <laughs> tried, and the and we're the price they were We're talking about a given.
3: league that, is, that has expansion fees of three hundred and fifty million dollars here. Just yeah, take uh, the, the Vegas the,
4: expansion expansion fee and, and put all of it towards
2: that
3: and buy the domain. Yeah, yeah. Do, do you, do you, do you years years know
2: later. what? Do you know what the multi listing site is? Because I only know from uh, buying a house in the United States. So like is
3: like real estate, isn't it? Yeah, it's on where like MLS. every single com. house put
2: on the market goes before it's on any of those apps. So I think it's a it's a massive site. But I think yeah. they were uh offered amount an amount of money to give up the domain, and I think they've requested like ten times as much as was offered. So uh thus far it remains a non
3: starter. But it's, yeah, that'd be fine it, if
2: we went to MLS exclusively.
3: It's very annoying to me how it's MLSsoccer.com, yep. Major League Soccer, Soccer. It's yep. like how Hibbs in, in Scotland here, their first Twitter name was Hibernian FC Club. So Hibernian oh. Football Club Club. Mm. <laughs>
1: <laughs> there's a lot of that though. WTA Tennis.com, Women's Tennis Association Tennis.com. There's, there's a lot of that going on. And people <sighs>
3: are,
1: people say ATM Machine. You know, there's, there's lots of that. It's all around yeah, them. Yeah, true. It's all around. Um, Taylor, one final question about the song. Mm. What are the lyrics? Uh, dup, dup, dup. You gotta smash it. You gotta <laughs> Working in a bakery, it's hot
2: as hell, about 103. Uh, I forget what the rest of it is. But yeah, it's literally about him working in a bakery and about what you have to do and how early you have to get up and how hard the work is. Uh, but yeah, I, I think he so ended up working on a collective farm in Hawaii for a while, the guy who wrote that song. So maybe the bakery... Uh led him to literally greener pastures.
3: On a- yeah, and it feels like those lyrics are maybe maybe throwing shade at us for as people who like don't do real jobs. <laughs> <laughs> what do you mean,
4: Graham? This is just as demanding as coal mining, sitting in this comfortable yeah. chair talking to a microphone. Honest honestly, Taylor, I don't think the song should ever change. Like it would make me really sad if it changed, and I think that probably goes for a lot of other people out there. Maybe there's people who hate the song, I don't know. But it is just so iconic and nostalgic for me. And I'm sure that's true for a lot of other folks. So I hope that uh, if you do do a poll, I'll be making 100 different Twitter accounts to, skew the, to <laughs> skew the results in one direction. I'll put it that way. Thanks, buddy.
1: Excellent stuff. Well, a, a thumbs up for our theme song. And thank you very much, Demetrius, for your question there. Thank you to everybody who has submitted questions on this here show. And thank you to Taylor Rockwell for answering those questions on this here show. Yeah, right back at you, buddy. Thank you, Joe Lowry. Aw, thanks, Ryan. Thanks, Graham Ruthven. Thanks, Ryan, and sorry for being a cop again. The hoppy cop. (laughs) The copy. Oh, he's a cop with a P. That's fine. Uh, Thank you very much, Lister. We'll be back with another one on the feed, but for now, bye!